Well, good morning to you, Grace. It is so great to see you this morning. Thank you for inviting us into your home. We call this Grace at home because of that, and so I'm glad that you would invite me into your home. If you're visiting us for the very first time, I want to introduce myself. My name is Nathan. Maybe you saw our church driving down Van Buren or coming out of the Food for Less parking lot, and you saw the giant banner for our live stream, or maybe a friend of yours invited you electronically to come to our church digitally, and so it's good to have you here at Grace. I invite you to come back every single Sunday morning for our worship services right here on our website at gccriverside.com. Now me, I am in this room all alone. I'm at 4247 Van Buren Boulevard, and yet we are all alone in here. It's just me. The room is still set up the way that it was the last time that we were here together, where we are distancing ourselves uh, six feet apart, and so the room is still set up the same way, but I'm here alone, but I'm talking back to the camera because I'm in your home. So thank you for inviting me into your house. Now, if you are watching this online on our website, but you missed my introduction or you missed our worship songs, that means that you aren't watching our live stream. That means you're just watching a pre-recorded sermon on our website. We do have all of our sermons on video uh, uh, archives so that you can watch them. But we'd love for you to participate in our live stream. Every single Sunday morning, we have worship services complete just like we do on Sunday mornings, where there's a whole chat section so we can greet each other before the worship service begins, 10 minutes before the chat opens up, and then that chat closes 10 minutes after. And so if you uh, want to continue to chat afterwards, you can as well. So it allows for us to connect a little bit. We sing worship songs to God. Of course, we study the Bible like we always do on a Sunday morning, but we also have our time of giving our first and best back to God as a way of worship. So we do it all. And so I want to invite you back every single Sunday for our live stream worship services. Just click the link at the top of this page. It says live stream there on the top of our main page. It just says live stream. Click that button and it will get you logged in. Well, as that video introduced, we are in this series that we are calling Straight Out of Context 2, and it is all about parts of the Bible that are often misunderstood. And the reason that they're misunderstood is because they are usually read out of context. And the one that we're talking about today, the question that we're answering today is, do I really need to give 10% to God? Do I really need to give 10% of my, my hard-earned money? Do I really need to give that to God? And I can already imagine what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, are you serious, Pastor? Are you seriously talking about money at church? I know, that's a major faux pas in itself. But are you talking about money Right when people are losing their jobs, we have this national pandemic. Some people are working so much, and some people have lost their jobs working so little. Are you talking about money now? Yes. I'm not the only one talking about money. And Jesus in the Bible talks a lot about money. Sixteen of his parables include money and possessions. Uh, one out of every ten verses in the gospel is about money or possessions. So I'm not the only one talking about it. God in the Bible talks about it. Jesus talks about it. And just two weeks ago, 
Vice President Pence and Donald Trump standing right behind him, Vice President Pence encouraged all Americans to continue to give their money to their church, even though they aren't going to church because of the social distancing requirements. And the Twitter feeds that I read were all up in arms about Vice President Pence and the fact that he encouraged people to give their money to God, even though they're not at church. And the, the comments ranged all the way from, you know, separation of church and state, the vice president shouldn't say anything about religion, all the way to we're in this national crisis where God apparently hasn't helped at all, and now you want us to give our money that we're trying to hold back, uh, trying to save right now, you want us to give our money to religion? No way. The stock market has just crashed, and you want us to give our money away. And so the question is, do I really need to give 10% to God? Now, I hope you'd stick with me today, even though today's about money, because I think you're going to like the answer that I give you. Okay? But let me first tell you about a family member that Tanya and I have. We have an extended family member. They go to a church, and their church often calls them on the phone and tells them that they are not giving enough money. And this isn't like some cult. This isn't Mormons. This isn't Jehovah's Witnesses. This church literally calls them on the phone and in no uncertain terms says, you aren't giving enough money. You need to give more. And this isn't for like some building fund, some one-time thing. We all need to dig deep. We all need to uh, be a part. We all need to uh, all jump in and, and, and share the cost here. It's not anything like that. Often, they get called for more money. Now imagine, imagine that. Imagine me calling you on the phone this afternoon and saying, um, you haven't been giving enough money. You aren't giving 10%. Now, I just full disclosure, the, the pastors at Grace do not know how much any individual person gives at Grace Community Church. None of our elders know how much money is given by each individual person at Grace Community Church. Now, there's nothing illegal or immoral for a pastor to know that. Many pastors, most pastors... As a matter of fact, know how much individual people give in their church, and that's okay. I just feel like I can pastor better by not knowing. <laughs> I'd rather not know. But our extended family member, their pastor knows how much they give. And they get called. Now, this family member, they never ask me what I think about that. I mean, they, they, they obviously know that I'm a pastor. And they never ask me what I think about that. They just complain about it. They complain that their church calls, but you know what? They continue to send in the checks more and more every time. And that's the, the dirtiness of church. That's the, 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 the stereotype of church. That's what has dirtied the name of God is things just like that. And so the question is, do I need to give 10% to God? And here's your answer. No. No. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you need to give 10% to God. You're like, whew, I just dodged a bullet. But that might get your brain thinking a little bit. How, how come that's the common understanding? How come that's the common assumption? And you are right. That is the common assumption that I need to give 10% to God. Most churches teach the tithe, a tenth 
10% the tithe, you can hear tenth and tithe together there, that you would give the tithe, that you would give 10%, that the requirement is 10% to God. And if you've come from another church and you've come to Grace Community Church, you probably can remember your church preaching uh, the tithe, most do, but you've noticed that we don't. You might be wondering why it's so common. Well, it is very common. It goes even all the way back. It goes back even further than this, but here's kind of a foundational moment in the late 1900s, and this is in an article in the New York Times about the Southern Baptist Convention that they had where they started talking about the tithe and introducing it in church, and so this is what the article says about that moment. It says, the principal topic of discussion at the morning session of the Southern Baptist Convention was the report of the committee on tithing. The committee recommended the adoption of the tithing system and that several state conventions, district associations, the pastors, churches, missionary societies, educate the people up to paying systematically to God not less than one-tenth of their income. And so tithing has become a very normal part of our culture in the last eh, 200 years. Even Dave Ramsey, you probably recognize Dave Ramsey, he is the most well-known Christian financial guru in the entire United States, probably, probably in the entire world, and Dave Ramsey teaches the tithe to give 10%. Let me show you quickly what Dave Ramsey teaches about the tithe giving 10%. Instructions for giving? Well, the Bible says to give a tenth. Deuteronomy 28 says that. Give a tenth, a tithe of your increase. The word tithe, when you look it up in the Hebrew, means tenth. It's a tenth. It's a tenth. That's 10%. Well, is it on the gross or on the net? (laughs) You ever heard that one? This is hilarious. 2.7% 2.7% of evangelical Christians tithe. Less than 3% of evangelical Christians tithe. And people ask me, gross or net? Who cares? None of you are doing it. <laughs> and so it's common. This is what, what most churches think. And so why is it so common? Well, there are a few churches that have learned that if if they don't teach the tithe, if they don't teach 10%, they're worried that their churches would close. And so it's a very pragmatic uh, reason to say, I'm just going to tell them what to give because 10% is the, the number that we, can, that we need to operate. But most churches don't teach it for that reason. Most churches teach the tithe simply because they've misunderstood some parts of the Bible. They've taken some parts of the Bible out of context. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to look at those parts of the Bible that are often taken out of context. And I want to look at the ones that Dave Ramsey mentions. I mean, we only watched 40-second clip there. But he has a, a long dissertation on the tithe, and he gives lots of uh, biblical passages that support it. And so I want to look at the passages that he references only because they're the most common ones. And so then we can come to a conclusion biblically on the tithe. So let's look at the first one that is often taken out of context. It is this one, Genesis 14:20. Genesis 14:20. And it says this, he, 
or Abraham, gave him a tenth of all. This is before the Mosaic Law. This is before it's required at all. And Abraham is coming across the, the plains with these huge treasures because he had just beaten two, uh, two local kings. And he has all these treasures because he was trying to help out his idiot nephew Lot. And he has these huge uh, amount of treasure. And he runs across this mysterious priest, Melchizedek. And he, Abraham, gave him a tenth of all. That's Matthew, or that's Genesis 14:20. He, Abraham, gave Melchizedek a tenth of it all. One tenth. Now that is a real tithe, ten percent. And biblically, the ten has always represented the whole. But this is not a tithe. This is not a tithe in any sense of the word that you think of as a tithe. First of all, this was spoils of war. This was not income of his. And as a matter of fact, Abraham continues on later on in Genesis and says that he's going to give all of it away. And nowhere in the Bible does it say to give all of your money away, primarily because then you wouldn't even have enough money to take care of your own family. And biblically, that is a sin. And so what we see here is not a biblical tithe that's before the requirement of the Mosaic law. But of course, this is where the tithe idea begins right here in Genesis 14 because it was 10% of, of everything. But then Dave Ramsey mentions this one, Deuteronomy. As a matter of fact, Dave Ramsey mentions Deuteronomy 28. I don't think he meant Deuteronomy 28. I think he meant Deuteronomy 14, 28. Because Deuteronomy 28 doesn't mention anything about a tithe. So anyway, Deuteronomy 14, 28 does. And so let's look at this one. It says, you shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall not neglect the Levite who is in your town, for he has no portion or inheritance among you. And so this is the Old Testament tithe, where you were to give a certain portion, and that portion changed every year. You were supposed to give a certain portion of your agricultural gain, what you get out of your garden, what you get out of your farm. You're to take a certain percentage of that and take it to the Levites. Now, the Levite was, they were the... Um, they were the tribe, they were the family that took care of and ran the temple. And since they were running the temple, they didn't have their farm. They didn't have time to farm. And so if you were a farmer and you came to the temple, you would bring some of your food to the Levites so that they had food because they couldn't bring their own food. And so you would bring a certain amount every time, every different uh, year you're going to bring stuff to the temple to the Levites because they were leading the church. Now, some of you at Grace Community Church, some of you bring me cookies or you bring me tamales or you bring me desserts or you bring lunch by the office and that's why I miss you guys so much. But that is not a requirement. 
That's not a requirement of being a part of Grace Community Church, although I've tried to convince the elders that we need to make that a requirement <laughs> of attending Grace Community Church. But that's not a requirement. This tithe is a have to. And Deuteronomy 14, 28 is a requirement. It's not a I want to. It's not an I get to. It's I have to. And so if we're teaching the Old Testament tithe correctly, we would say it's a requirement. It is a percentage of what you pull out of your garden in your backyard or apply today what you bring home from the grocery store. That would be a correct application of the Old Testament tithe today. And another one that gets really twisted up and Dave Ramsey uses as well is Malachi 3, 8 to 10. Let me read that one to you. Malachi 3, 8 to 10. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And this, so this is God talking. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Let's stop right there for a minute. The Bible does not teach the tithe. The Old Testament teaches the tithes. A lot of them. If you add up all of the required giving, you're looking at somewhere between 20 to 30% of your income goes to the tithes. So now who wants to be a tither? You probably don't want to be a tither anymore. And it tells us the issue, while we're even talking about these tithes, as we continue on, it says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. The issue was that their possessions, the things that they owned, were dragging their hearts away from God. And because their hearts had been dragged away from God, then they weren't giving what they should have been, what they should have been giving. And so merely their, their giving was merely a reflection of what had changed in their heart. And that was the issue for God. And yet many people would say, yeah, 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 I know that it's Mosaic law and that's not for us today. But Jesus confirmed that Christians should give the tithe in the New Testament. Well, let me show you what Jesus said in the New Testament regarding the tithe. That's in Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24. He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without neglect, neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out at a gnat and swallow a camel. Jesus says, you Pharisees, you are majoring on things that are really small. You are majoring on, on the tithe. You notice that the tithe is very agricultural, dill and cumin. Okay? Remember, that's bringing what you grew in your yard and you bring it in. And he says, you're majoring on the minor things 
and you're minoring on the things that should be very important. You are minoring on justice and mercy and faithfulness, all the while you are so focused on the tithe. And so even Jesus says focusing on the tithe is the wrong focus. That's what Jesus says about it. So was tithing a requirement? Absolutely, yes, it was. In the Old Testament Mosaic Law, absolutely. So tithing is not immoral. Tithing is not unbiblical. Tithing is absolutely biblical. I've shown it to you in the Bible. So it's definitely there. And if you aspire to give 10% to God, that's wonderful. That is a wonderful thing to aspire to. But the New Testament has a different perspective of all of this. Six times tithing, the word is used in the Bible. Three times out of the six, it is used to describe the abuse of it on the Pharisees. And the other three times is used in the book of Hebrews. If you know anything about the book of Hebrews, it is referencing the ancient Jewish law uh, that the Jews had experienced long, long ago. Those are the six times that the word tithing is addressed in the New Testament. The New Testament never mentions tithing as a requirement. The New Testament never encourages Christians to to tithe, require 10%. And there is not one example of a church that requires anybody in their church to give exactly 10%. You look at the, the churches in the New Testament, Rome, the Corinthian church, Timothy's church, Thessalonians, uh, all the churches, not a single one was requiring the 10% tithe of their Christians. Now, Dave Ramsey does recognize that not all Christians teach the tithe. And he, he calls it uh, he just calls it doctrinal hair splitting. That's what he says, doctrinal hair splitting. Just meaning that it, it, this is not a gospel issue. That our salvation is not predicated upon whether we think the tithe, the 10% requirement, is still active or not. And I would certainly agree with that. But I think teaching the tithe is not biblically accurate. And since I'm a Bible teacher, I think I should teach the Bible as accurately as I can. And so I think teaching the tithe is not biblically accurate. And I also don't think that it's beneficial to Christians and encouraging their joy. And I want to show you what I mean by by that. Do I really have to give 10% to God? The answer is no. Aren't you glad you stuck around? No, you don't have to. And nowhere in the Bible does it require 10% of you. And you're like, yes, I dodged a bullet. I can go on a bigger vacation. Forget you, Vice President Pence. I can do what I want with my money. Don't tell me what to do with my money. Now, before you go to spend all that newfound money of yours, you might want to know that God does care how much you give. And God does care how you give. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is where Jesus addresses people's money. So this is Jesus' perspective on money. And I think if we 
pay attention to what he says, there is an application for all of us in this. Look at Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 16. It says, and he told him a parable saying, so Jesus is going to use a, a story. This didn't really happen. It's, it's a story with an underlining meaning. And usually the underlying meaning is pretty obvious. Here we go. The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul? You have made many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And so you have this guy who has so much stuff. He has so much stuff in storage that his storage units can't even hold all the storage that he has. And so he says, I'm going to tear down my storage units. I'm going to build triple-decker storage units. And I'm going to store so much stuff that I can sit back and live on easy street. My 401k is set up. Uh, for the last 20 years, the stock market has been nothing but up, and it has been great for me, and I've got my social security, and I am just set and ready to relax. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared. So is, the, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This guy has it all. He's set up and all of a sudden, boom, he dies that night. Whoa. Now who's going to own all your stuff? Who's going to own all your storage units now? You might as well start putting these things aside for, for God instead. And that's how Jesus concludes. All the way down at the bottom in verse 33, Jesus says, Well, sell your possessions and give it to charity. Make for yourself money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That, that, that's just a statement of fact. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That, that's not an accusation to make you feel guilty to try to give you, get you to give more money. It's just a statement of fact. Just like babies cry, just like the sun is hot, just like I'm tired of coronavirus news on the TV. Where your treasure is, where your money is, your valuables are, where your mind is in those things, that is where your heart is. And this is not saying that if you move your treasure over to the right things that your heart is there, it's simply saying that the current location of your mind and your money and, and your stuff, that's an indication of where your heart is too. The Bible says this about your money 
and you and God. In Luke 16, 13, this is what it says. No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and... I know all you Bible people already know what, how to fill in that answer, but there might be some people in the room who don't know what that word is. You cannot serve God and... Don't say it. What would you put there? What would you put in that blank? Let me show you some of the things that I would put there. You can't serve God and Satan, right? That sounds good and is true, but that's not what it says here. You cannot serve God and evil. Well, kind of true, but that's not what this says. What would you put in this blank? You can't serve God and your boss. Nope, that's not what this one says. What do you think? What would you put in this blank? You're going to either love the one or you're going to hate the other. You can't not serve God and the San Francisco Giants. <laughs> that is true. That is a true statement. <laughs> I have decided to love God, and so now you know what I think about the San Francisco Giants. But that's not what the Bible says. You cannot serve God, and what would you put there? Let me show you what God puts there. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve God in money. Those two are, are, are separated. The opposite of serving God is serving money. My heart is inseparably connected to my wallet. And there is a fight for my heart. It's not a fight for my money. God isn't going after my money. There's a fight for my heart, like two, like two guys fighting over a girl. There's a fight for my money. There's a fight for my heart. And money is simply the example, the visual aid that can help you decide who's won the fight. Has God won the fight? Is your money where you would hope it would be? Now, all of us have money. All of us have money. No matter who you are in the room, you probably have money. Maybe you just get your money from birthday presents and you have nice grandma, grandpa, aunts, and uncles who give you money for your birthday. You have money. Maybe you have your first job. You have a little bit more money. Maybe you're in the middle of your career, kind of your peak earning potential. Maybe you're retired and you're living off of what you made and so now you're receiving the income from your 401k. Now you're kind of worried about the stock market a little bit. And you're, you get your social security each month. Everybody has money. Now, how does a Christian decide where that money goes? 
what is the what is the 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 determining factor in buying that car and buying those clothes and, and and giving that money to that grandchild what is the determining factor for those well that all goes back to the verse that we've already looked at where your treasure is there your heart will be also god is to be the center of a christian's spending biblically God is the God gave it all to us in the first place. And so now we are just managing what God gave to us. Now, this certainly is not intended to be an exhaustive teaching about money in the Bible. That is almost impossible. There are less than 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but there are over 2,000 verses about money and possessions in the Bible. So uh, I'm just going to kind of encapsulate all those, and I want to give you five important things about giving your money from the New Testament. Five things about giving money from the New Testament. And the first one is is this. God gave you what you have. God owns everything, and he gave you what you have. And that comes from this verse in 1 Timothy 6.17, where it says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but fix your hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. God owns everything, and he gave us what we have. He gave you what you have. That's the first thing that you need to know. He's not out for your money. He gave it to you, okay? If he wanted to keep it, he would have kept it. Second thing that you need to know, God does want your heart. God does want your heart. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your money. Luke chapter 12, verse 31, we've already looked at that one. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, where your finances are, where your possessions are, that's where your money is. Now, God already had it. God already had the money, and he gave it to you, and so he's not trying to come and steal it back from you. What he's interested in is your your heart, and he gave you the money so that you could identify where your heart is. Thirdly, God wants you to give cheerfully. God wants you to give cheerfully. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must do just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So this is not a have to. This is an I want to. This is I want to worship God with my money. I want to give my first and best back to him. And so is it a have to? No. And so do you ask, do I have to do what Vice President Pence says and give money to church even when I'm not there? No. This is not a have to. God wants someone, when he, they give their money, they give it cheerfully. If you can't give it cheerfully, God does not want your money, and we do not want it either. God wants you to worship him with your money, giving your first and best back to him, just knowing that that's, my heart is with him. I put my money in the things that are God's things. Cheerful. That, how much do I give? 10%? No. How much? How much you can be cheerful about. How much can you be cheerful about giving? Can you give 1% cheerfully? Well, give 1%. Can you give 2? Up it to 2. 
How about five? Can you give 5% of your income to God cheerfully up to five? Can you give six? Yep. Could you give seven cheerfully? Sure. Could you give eight? No. I'm done. I'm done. Eight is too much. God does not deserve eight. I can cheerfully give seven. Well, there you go. There's your number. And you think, man, that is just too simple. And that's, that's so easy. I could get out of giving a lot. Absolutely you could. Absolutely you could. This is why these things are not taught at most churches. God loves a cheerful giver. He wants someone to give cheerfully. So you get to decide how cheerful you are. And that's why I say that when a, when a pastor teaches giving a tithe, requiring the tenth, he is robbing the Christians in his church of joy. What if there are 15% Christians? What if there are 17% Christians that they have the joy that they want to give 17%? He's robbing them of all of that joy of giving that money because he told them the requirement was 10 what if there's someone that wants to give 20% because they have that much joy? They want to worship God that much. They're so excited to do that. Well, there you go. Cheerful giver. Okay. So, God wants you to give cheerfully. God wants you to plan ahead of time to give. He wants you to plan ahead to give. 1 Corinthians 9, 7 says... Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. That is pre-planned giving. Plan it ahead of time. Plan it out before you go to church. Decide before you go to church how much you're going to give. Tanya and I do it at the beginning of the year. At the beginning of the year, we decide how much we are going to give every month as a percentage. We're going to give this percent of my income every single month to God. We plan it out at the very beginning. And the, the huge benefit of planning it out ahead of time is that you don't give uh, em as an emotion or you don't give as a, a way to pay for the experience that you got. You know, okay, you drive in the parking lot and I didn't get the parking spot, so there's 1% off, so now I'm giving nine. But I like the Sunday school teacher that, that my kids got, and so we're back up to 10 but they didn't sing the song that I like, so we're down to five because I want my songs. And now we're live streaming, which is awesome, but I'm not even going, so they don't need any of my money. So I'm given zero, and we just are paying for the experience. That is not worshiping God. That's buying a product. And giving to God is not buying a product. It's worshiping Him out of cheerfulness, out of joy. And so that's why he says, do it pre-planned. Purpose it in your heart. Decide before you show up. You're not paying for a good sermon. You're not paying for a good seat in the worship center. I already showed you, they're all empty. None of you paid enough. <laughs> you're not buying a product. You're worshiping God when you give your money. Okay? So God wants you to give cheerfully. He wants you to plan ahead of time. And fifthly, God wants you to give fit a percentage of your income. He wants it to be a percentage of your income. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, on the first day of the week, on the first day of the week, what day is the first day of the week? <laughs> Sunday. Each of you is to put aside and save as he 
may prosper. That is a percentage giving, as you prosper. And so that would be, I commit to giving 11%, and if I make a lot of money, the, the dollars are going to go up, but my percentage remains the same. Or if, I, if my, my income dips, my percentage remains the same, but the money is going to dip, obviously, because I have less to give of that same 11%. And so, as he may prosper, a percentage. And so you put those together, a cheerful, pre-planned percentage. God does not want your money. He wants your heart. And simply where your money is, where your possessions are, that's an identifier for you of where your heart is. And, you know, it, 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 what is great with kind of digital electronics these days is that reoccurring giving, you can set up on our website, you can set up to do a reoccurring giving where it just gives the same amount every single month. That is a way to pre-plan. <laughs> that is a way to plan ahead of time. You cheerfully do it. You decide how much it is, and it just happens every month. And so it's not about the, the experience that you got. It's not about the, 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 the good Sunday school class, or it's not about how great the live stream was. It, it's not about those things. It was about worshiping God, and you can plan it ahead of time, and then it just handles it on, on its own. Now, I do realize that talking about money at church gets a little weird and awkward, and so if, if you're not a Christian and you're just kind of checking things out and you're like, uh-huh, I told you that churches only talk about money, I want to tell you that none of this is for you. You, you just dodged a bullet. Whew! This one's not for you. There's not a, an amount of money that you could give that would make God happy with you. You can't buy God off. You can't pay for your sins to be forgiven. So if you're not a Christian, you're off the hook. Sweet. Now, if you are a Christian, but Grace Community Church is not your home, this is for you, but you aren't required to give to Grace Community Church. I'm not asking for your money. But what you do need to do is give a cheerful, pre-planned percentage to God through the church that you attend. Now, if Grace Community Church is your church home, you can see where I'm going with this, this is for you. But this isn't just for you. This is for me too. Give a cheerful pre-planned percentage. Tanya and I, our family, we are committed to this. At the beginning of every year, I already told you, we plan ahead and we decide how much we're going to give. And in some years we say, oh, we could, we could even give a little bit more. We could up it from this to that. We up it from this to that. And whenever we ask ourselves, we've never ever once said, no, I don't think God deserves that. We've never said that. So we are committed to this. This isn't just for me and for you. This is for every staff member at Grace Community Church. Every single person on staff is to give a cheerful, pre-planned percentage. Every elder at Grace Community Church is to give a cheerful, pre-planned percentage. Every deacon and deaconess, every member of our church family is to give a cheerful, pre-planned percentage. This is for us. This is the way that we worship God. Where your money is, that's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is as well. Now, speaking of being a follower of Jesus Christ, I know that some churches have this, um, this formula where if you give a certain amount of money or if you give enough money, 
well, then you can buy your salvation. And you can see why so much money comes in if you could buy your salvation. But the Bible doesn't say that you can pay for your salvation at all. The Bible says that salvation is completely free. Your salvation is free. You, know, you might be wondering, what do you mean by salvation? I mean being saved. You know, the Bible says that every person is separated from God because of their sin, doing something they shouldn't do, thinking something they shouldn't think, saying something that you shouldn't have said. Have you ever thought something that you shouldn't have thought? I know, me too. I, I've done it too. And the Bible says the wages of that sin, the wages of sin is death. That's eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And you're like, well, well, who? if just thinking something you shouldn't think is that, I mean, nobody could ever get to heaven. You're right. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Look around everybody in your room. And you could point at, point at everybody in your room. You're not righteous, and you're not righteous, and you're not righteous, and you're not righteous. And you point back at the TV, point at me, and say, you're not righteous. No, I'm not. I'm in the same boat as everyone else. There's nothing good that you can do to get to heaven. But God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God wants people to go to heaven. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. So Jesus is the savior. That's the salvation that Christians talk about. Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, come to earth, and he lived a perfect life. He never sinned one time. And so that when he goes to the cross, he is paying for my sin, and he's paying for your sin. He's not paying for his own. He never sinned. He, he's, he's perfectness up on that cross. And so on Good Friday that we're going to be celebrating here very soon, on Good Friday, when his blood is pouring out, he is paying for the sin of the world. He is paying for your sin. And he's paying for my sin. Now, just because he died on the cross does not mean that you're going to heaven. All people do not go to heaven. It is only those people who believe, who put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, who believe it, who change their mind and say, I can't get to heaven alone. I can't be good enough. It is, I must trust Jesus. Jesus was God. And Jesus is the Messiah that paid my way. And when you change your mind about who Jesus is, that is where salvation, being saved from your sin, being rescued from your sin, when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden you have your hope of eternity in heaven instead of hell. And that is the good news. The bad news is everyone goes to hell because of their sin. The good news is that God doesn't want anyone to, and so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And so when a person puts their faith and their trust in this Jesus, now they have eternity in heaven. Three days later, Jesus rises from the grave, proving that he is God. If you doubted that Jesus was God before, he rose from the grave. He proved it to you next week at Easter. I hope to invite you back. Come back next week to our live stream for Easter. We'll talk about what happened on that Easter, on that Easter day. He rose from the grave, proving that he is God. And now any person who changes their mind. So it's free. How much does it cost you to believe? Absolutely nothing. Salvation is completely free, but the Bible says it was not cheap. Jesus gave his life for you. And so I hope you'd be willing to consider these things. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to 
raise your hand. You don't have to talk to me in person. All you need to do is talk to God who's in heaven. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he came to earth to die on the cross for sin? Do you acknowledge that you've sinned? That you've done something that you shouldn't have done? Do you believe that Jesus lived a perfect life? Do you believe that when he died on the cross, he wasn't dying for his sin, but he was dying for yours? Right where you're sitting, in front of that computer, listening to this on a podcast, watching it with your family, just talk to God in your heart. You don't have to say anything out loud. God, I put my trust in this Jesus. I put my eternity in the hands of this Jesus. I need to be rescued from my sin. And immediately the promise is that you have your hope and your eternity in heaven. And you didn't spend a dime. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, I thank you so much for what your word says. And I thank you for the promises that it makes. I thank you that you have provided a way for us for eternity in heaven that doesn't cost us a thing because we could never pay the price. So God, though our hearts and our minds are stressed with all that is happening around us today with the coronavirus, we thank you for the comfort that we have our hope in you, that our eternity, whenever that begins, will be with you. And for that, we praise you in Jesus' name.